Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. This Tuesday morning Sidur class started, I don't know, only Terry knows when. I think it's more than a decade ago and less than 15 years ago. I don't really know. We've been through the Sidur, the morning, the morning Sidur. Terry's at about right between 10 and 15. I don't think it's between 15 and 20. I don't know. Um, and so we have been through the morning Sidur start to finish three times. If you miss that and you'd like to review it, the third time pretty much started when COVID started and we started recording. So you should be able to find all of that on the TBA podcasts. And then in the spring, once we finish the third time, I thought we would do something different. So we're doing a class on Jewish theology um, as, and we're contemplating how, uh, not Jewish theology, I'm going to say Jewish theologies, and we're contemplating how Jewish theologies filter into the Sidur in different ways. And we started that, if you want to go back, if you're just joining on, you want to go back, that starts the last Tuesday in April. Uh, and we have been contemplating different theologies um, of God as present in the Tanakh, in the Bible. That's what we're in the middle of. Um, and we're going to do a few more weeks of that. And then we're going to go on to talk about... Um, uh, views of God in uh, rabbinic thought and in Kabbalah in philosophy and in modern Jewish theology. And I have no idea how long, how many months all of that is going to take. Um, so what we've done so far in this series is we've talked about different uh, understandings of God in different, uh, different texts in the Tanakh, in the Bible. We've talked about, um, uh, first, the theory that the idea that God can take physical form if God chooses to. God is Malach, can take physical form and appear to humans. Humanoid form, that's what I should say, not physical, humanoid. Um, a view that God dwells in the Mishkan in the form of a Kavod. Um, a view that God is very, very far away up in the heavens and that all we have here is God's words or God's shame name somehow some sort of more abstract representation or echo of God but God is not on earth or in the tabernacle or the temple but is very very distant that's the view commonly associated with the book of Tvarim Deuteronomy which we're reading now in our Torah cycle. And then we had two lift, two different looks of God in nature. We, one was, uh, God in the aggressive, uh, powerful forces of nature. And one was a view of God in the harmony and beauty of nature. And now we have two more things to go. We're going to start today. So what we're going to talk about today is, um, God as actor in history, the view of God in the Bible, as God as actor in history. 
And then we're going to talk about God in relationship, in emotional relationship with human beings. And that'll be our, I think, our final um, Bible thread. And then I'm going to try to step back and do an overview of Bible threads, not an overview, but a, a comment on uh, someone who um, listened to the podcast said to me, uh, commented to me, um, I never looked thought of it this way before. I'm not used to studying the Bible historically. This challenges my faith. And um, we're going to look at some thinkers, uh, contemporary Orthodox thinkers who have try to grapple um honestly with the idea that there are different threads or strands of thought about God in the Bible, but how they um understand that and take it seriously intellectually and still uh retain their faith in the Torah as a unitary document given by God at Sinai, meaning the idea that the Torah is divine is not necessarily in conflict with the idea that there are different strands of thinking in the Torah. It's commonly assumed that those two things are in conflict with each other. You know, the idea that, that the Torah has different strands of thought in it necessarily implies written by different people at different times. And there are some thinkers who grapple with this these, the idea of multiple strands and say, no, it does not necessarily imply written by different people at different times. So you can kind of square the idea of um, different strands of thinking in the Torah with traditional faith. That's going to be our final session on Bible, and then we'll go on to rabbinics. Okay? But as we have done during the course of our Sudra class, we interrupt every now and then to do something not in sequence. So I think next week we will um, look at some of the strands or even shre- they're not strands, shreds of thinking in the Bible that undergird some of the traditional high holiday, high holiday theology that we have coming up of God as judge and our deeds inscribed in a book and God sitting on a throne and reading the book and making decisions about who shall live and who shall die and that sort of thing. So that view, which is mostly um, a rabbinic view, right? Post, mostly post biblical has its roots in some passages in the Bible. And so we're going to look at some of those passages next week. So I guess that is a Bible strand also but I didn't really intend that as one of the major strands. It's kind of a minor strand, but I thought heading into high holidays, it would be good to do that. So today we're going to look at God as actor in history. That's where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. Is there any question or comment about any of that? Okay. And to find past stuff on the TBA podcasts, unfortunately, I don't think the podcasts are necessarily divided by class, you just have to look up, you know, Sidur, and I guess you'll get a list of all of them. But there isn't, as far as I know, there isn't a separate button for Rabbi Sermons or Sidur class or Rabbi Rembaum's class or anything like that. But maybe there is now. I don't know. I'll go take a look. So we're going to talk about God as actor in history. Um, now you might say, oh, like, duh, 
Like, of course, that's kind of the whole story of the Torah, right? You know, God who uh, took us out of Egypt and helped us cross the Red Sea and uh, led us through the desert and brought us to uh, Eretz Israel. So I, I will submit, yes, duh, that's true. And that's kind of, you could, one could argue the major strand of thinking about God, God theologically in the Torah story. Um, and I'm just going to, we're going to, I'm going to share a few texts, um, some of which are familiar, some of which possibly less familiar that, um, that flesh out that idea. And we'll try to share some questions and thoughts about what are the implications of that theology. Okay, that's what we're going to do today. I am now about to share my screen. And as per always, the text that I'm sharing will be attached to the podcast and available to those who listen to the podcast. Okay, here we are. See the text? Someone nod or wave or something. Okay, great. Okay. Okay. God's presence in history. Okay. So first of all, we have some passages which are directly in the Sidur. So I brought you Vayosha Hashem Bayomahu at Yisrael Miad Mitzrayim. Right? God delivered Israel from the Egyptians. That's near the end of Psuke de Zimra. And it goes into Az Yashir. All right. And this is actually in the Sidur to fulfill uh, the Talmud's dictum, I guess, that um, a person needs to mention or study um, the story of the crossing of the Red Sea every day. All right. So uh, you might wonder how Psuche de Zimra is put together. If you pause for a moment, just contemplate it. We say at the beginning in Baruch Shamar, we're going to be saying Zmirod Vatish Bachot, praises. And then at the end in Yishabach, we said we're going to, we, we said praises. And most of those praises are a series of Psalms from the book of Tilim, from the book of Psalms. But there's some other stuff in there and how that other stuff get in there. So the other stuff is mostly after the Psalms. We have a series of passages that talk about that that basically talk about the historical punchline which is the crossing of the red sea exodus from egypt crossing of the red sea okay so that's kind of i will call it ground zero of the idea in the torah of god acts in history okay and again this is if you look at it very um concrete and non-abstract right that god for example yep here we go Chariots, chariots and his army God has cast into the sea. All right. So it's not just general idea. God's in the background somewhere, but you are the one who threw, who drowned Pharaoh's army. They went down like a stone at the blast of your nostrils. The waters piled up. Okay. Um, you caused the wind to blow. So it's you put out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. So this is very, I'm going to say, concrete, um, concrete. Then we also have what, what preceded that is a passage that is kind of, you know, obscure unless you had a traditional yeshiva, a rabbinic education of the year like 200 of the common era where they studied the whole Bible and knew it all by heart. Most of us did not growing up 
grow up reading the book of Nehemiah, and therefore we are not that familiar with it. So I brought for you this whole passage from Nehemiah, which you may not have realized is excerpted in Shachrit here. And there's a scene where the Torah is read, uh, basically there in Ezra and Nehemiah, which are books which are written about when the Jews come back to Yehuda and Yerushalayim and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple after the Babylonian destruction. And these events are reflected about 450-ish, 450 BCE, Ezra and Nehemiah. There are several public ceremonies of re-covenanting with God. And this is one of them in Nehemiah. And there's the, there are Levites who are standing in front of the people. And they open up and they say, Kumu, Baruchuet Hashem Eloichem min haolam ve'ad haolam which sort of is a version, early version of Baruch okay? They say, stand up, everyone, and bless God, okay? Um, and then they say, one, two, three, four, fifth line here on page three, Atahu Hashem levadecha, atasit at hashamayim shmei hashamayim v'chol tzva'am, aretz v'chol asher aleha, hayamim v'chol asher bahem, v'atam mechayet kulam, God, you made the whole heavens and the earth and everything and the whole world worships you. This sounds familiar, correct? So this is in Shachari. This is the part that we say after the Psalms. It is excerpted from the speech in the book of Nehemiah. Okay, and you promised them the land and then you saw our suffering Okay. I'm at the top of page four, I think. Yeah. That should sound familiar. I'm not going to say open the Sidur to page so and so. Right after that, in the Sidur, we then say, Then we go on to the passage from Exodus. Right, that we looked at in the first selection and the Song of the Sea. So what we actually have in that historical section in Psuke de Zimra after the Psalms is we have a part of this passage from Nehemiah and then we go into the passage from Exodus, which speaks about it in detail. Everyone follow me? Does that make sense? That's what I just showed you. Um, uh, I don't know. Does someone have a sidur in front of them? Just sh- uh, Michael, just say what page that's in in the Slim Shalom, the the, the Nehemiah part, and then Vayosha part, just so people at home can look at that. If they want somewhere around twenty-seven, I would guess. All right, somewhere around twenty-seven, close enough for government work. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the speech. Twenty-six is Nehemiah. Say again. Twenty-six. Twenty-six is Nehemiah. Great. Twenty-six Nehemiah followed by twenty-seven. Okay. So what we have in our sidur, what the authors of our sidur have created, the group mind that created the traditional sidur, has a chunk of beginning of the passage from Nehemiah, and then we jump to in great detail what happened at the sea, and the great detail is the passage from Exodus. Okay, just for your information, the passage of Nehemiah continues, but it continues not in great detail. It continues by having a long list of other historical things 
that God has done. So this is where the passage in Nehemiah is cut. Okay. I'm going to call it on page four, the second paragraph in Hebrew. But I just want to show you what's there in Nehemiah that got cut. And you led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And you came down on Sinai and gave them laws. And you gave them the Sabbath. And you gave them food from heaven, the man, and water from the rock. But they would not listen to you. Okay, they rebelled. And they made a golden calf. You can read this at home if you feel like it. It's on the sheet. Okay, um, it's in, for those who don't want to download the sheet, it's Nehemiah chapter 9. Okay, um, and you forgave them. And you, page, top of page 5. And you wandered them around and fed them in the desert for 40 years. And they conquered other nations. And they came and they inherited the land. And they conquered many cities in the land. But still they rebelled against you. And so you gave them into the hands of their enemies. This is like the theology of the book of Judges, right? And then they did shuva. Um, and this cycle happened over and over again. And it concludes with a line, actually, which is in the high holiday liturgy in the Slichot, the end of the box on page six. You are righteous for all the punishments we've received, because in fact, the reality is we have sinned. So what this passage is in Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, originally is a long litany of all the historical good things that God did for B'nai Israel in the Bible, Torah, and the beginning of the prophets. And each time we rebelled and God punished us and we sinned. And therefore, Nehemiah is saying all the bad stuff that has befallen us, including the destruction of the first temple, not just Nehemiah who's saying it, it's the, 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 the Levites who are teaching it to the people, right? Are saying all the bad stuff that has been f- befallen us from the punishment of the golden calf all the way down to the destruction of the temple is because we have sinned and therefore we were punished. Okay. So that's what the original passage is in Nehemiah. What our Sidur has done has snipped out a little bit of the beginning, just telling of you are the God of the heavens. You selected Abraham. You promised Abraham the land. You took his children out of Egypt and led them to the sea. Snip. And then what is sewn together with that is, Vayosha Hashem Bayomahua Yisrael Miad Mitzrayim. The passage from Exodus of God saved Israel on that day from Egypt and the song of the sea. Okay, because that is really the focus of that section of the Sidur. It's not about all of the other historical things, nor is about all of our sins. Okay. Okay. So, um, so let's just pause for a moment and consider where is this theology of God acting in history? Ground zero is the Exodus and the splitting of the sea. But then where does this theology get, I'm going to call it repeated and amplified in Shacharit? So, we have it, for example, in the Shema service. Where is it in the Shema service? I stopped talking to give you a chance to talk. In Alan? The, in the third paragraph, with God redeeming us from Egypt. Right. So the third paragraph of the Shema is about 
God acts in history. Just to take you way back, paragraph number one is God is God of nature. Paragraph number two is God is God is revelation of the Torah. Paragraph number three, not the paragraphs of the Shema, but the blessings which surround the Shema. Blessing number three is um, Emet Viatsiv. Some people call it Esrat Avotenu. But it's basically, God, you are faithful. You act in history. Now, it mentions the splitting of the Red Sea, but it then takes it a little bit further because it says God is, um, I don't have the sea door in front of me. I'm sorry. Podeh anavim ozer dalim. God brings low the haughty and raises up the lowly. In other words, it says there is this story about God taking us out of Egypt. And this story is emblematic of God saves the downtrodden and smashes down the arrogant, okay, recurrently, it, as, as, a, as a God in general does this, actually quoting from other places in the Bible, okay? And therefore, it is a reasonable expectation for us to say, Sur Yisrael, Kuma, Bezrat Yisrael, Rock of Israel, so new, get up and defend Israel. Ufdei chin umecha Yudav Yisrael, and redeem or save Judah and Israel, just as you have spoken. So in other words, the the theme is, I'm going to say, amplified in that third blessing of the Shema, where in Psuke de Zimra, before Yishtabach, all we did was we spoke about a historical thing that happened then. Okay? In the third blessing of the Shema, we recount briefly the historical thing that happened then. Right? And they praised you. Because you are, and then it goes on to say, because you, O God, are in general the one who defends the downtrodden and the lowly and the oppressed. Okay, meaning it's not that you just did this once, but rather this is your characteristic mode of acting in the world. Okay. And again, I I, I just want to say, I want to be clear about this because you can agree or disagree with this theology, but I want to make sure people understand it. This is not like God gives courage to the faint hearted to enable them to stand up. No, this is God actually intervenes on behalf of those who are oppressed and does and intervenes in history to defend them. It's very explicit and concrete. And therefore, that bracha, that third bracha of the Shema concludes, therefore, we hope and expect that you will do that, that for us in the future. New, when is it going to happen? By the way, that same idea is in the, um, in the third part of Kedusha. On Shabbat, it's amplified a little bit more than it is on the weekday, right? On Shabbat, we say, Mimkom cha malkenu tofia, kimachakim anachnulach. Hey, God up in heaven, when are you going to appear? Because we are waiting for you. Matai timloch bitzion, when will you rule in Zion? Okay, so again, this strand of theology is made explicit. What happened in the past means that we hope for specific things to happen in the future. Where else is this theme in the Amidah? 
God is intervening in history. We talked about the Shema service. Now I'm talking about the Amida. Where is it in the Amida? Goel Yisrael. Gal Yisrael. Right. Um, uh, so I would amplify, uh, extend what Alan just said. The whole second half of the blessings of request in the Amidah, meaning blessings number, I'm going to say 10 through 15, I guess, something like that, are all communal requests for God to intervene in history, right? Ga'al Yisrael, redeem Israel. Mishpat, Mishpat, we want you to be our judge because human judges are flawed. Uh, 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 tear down the wicked. Support the righteous. No, 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 we're not talking about the sick. We're talking about the second half. We're talking about God in history. History means history. It means what's on page one of the New York Times. That's what history is. It's not my personal story, or at least that's not what I mean now, right? Um, tear, tear down the wicked. Build up the righteous. Um, Matzmiach Karen Yeshua. Uh, uh, have the um, um, restoration of salvation, the Davidic line, and Bonei Yerushalayim. So really the entire second half of the petitionary blessings in the middle of the weekday Amidah, I think, are an amplification of this idea that God acts in history. In the Amidah, because we're asking for things, we're not recounting the past history. We're talking about what we want God to do based on God's past track record, right? Redeem Israel, appear as a righteous judge, tear down the wicked, support the righteous, restore the Davidic household, and uh, rebuild Jerusalem. All right, so basically what we have in the third blessing of the Shema service and then in the second half of the petitionary blessings of the Amidah is we have a whole, I'm going to say, extension of this thread of biblical theology of God acting in history. The 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 first part of it we have in the Sidur is about just... um uh Exodus from Egypt and crossing of the sea, but that is meant to make you think of God's other acts in history, I think. Um, that's why I brought you the whole Nehemiah passage. Um, and here's a psalm, which uh, there are several psalms like this. You can look it up at home. This is Psalm 105, but there, I, I mentioned the other psalms. They're called historical psalms, which are like Nehemiah, but in psalm form. Praise God because he did all this great stuff, okay? He didn't allow the other nations to attack you. He he beat back their kings. Um, uh, there's a whole thing about you know, Joseph went down to Egypt, um, but God took him out of, uh, made him the ruler of all of Egypt. And here we have a list of seven of the ten plagues that God did. Um, and God took them out of Egypt, and God uh, gave them man, and gave them water in the desert, et cetera, et cetera. So take a look at home at Psalm, we're going to go for five more minutes, at Psalm 105, okay? So we have, just like in Nehemiah, we have a litany, and this is part of biblical thinking, of all of the ways in which God actually intervened 
in human history. Um, Michael, I'm going to differ with you on the Rofei Cholim because I think this strand is not about intervening for personal people, but intervening in group corporate national history. God intervenes on page one of the New York Times, according to this strand of theology. Okay. And the amplification of it in the second half of, um, in the third blessing of the Shema service, and in the second half of the petitionary blessings of the Middle Yamida, basically says, you did it in the past, we want you to do it again, now. Now, I want to give you one little passage in Amos, which might be the prophet Amos, which might be familiar to you, from, it's the opening of the Haftarah of Kedoshim. Amos, a prophet of the 700s BCE, the 8th century BCE, says... To me, O Israelites, aren't you just like the Ethiopians? True, I brought Israel up from the land of Egypt, but I also brought the Philistines from Kaftor, which probably means Crete or somewhere in the Greek islands, and the Arameans from Kir, which is someplace north of Syria. In other words, the prophet Amos and other prophets also explore this idea. I just brought you this one line, which might be familiar to you from the Haftorah cycle, say that God intervenes not only in Israelite history. Oh, you think you're so special because I brought you up out of Egypt. Well, I have news for you. I have brought other nations out of other places. I brought the Philistines from the Greek islands. I brought the Arameans, which is the Syrians, from some place named Kir, meaning don't think that you are the only nation in whose history I intervene, saith the Lord. That's what that sentence in Amos 9, 7 means. And there are other prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the big three, all of them talk about what God will do, how God will intervene in among the other nations. So this view of God in history is amplified elsewhere in the Bible, not in our Sidur, but elsewhere in the Bible, as God intervenes in human history in general. So I leave us with a question. Maybe we'll discuss for two or three minutes, but certainly to think about. What are the implications for us if we take the idea of God's presence in history seriously? So again, the Sidur means to say to you, to us, I think, if God could do this in the past, God can and will do this in the future and should do this in the present. But if God does this in the present, that raises the question of how do we know what are God's intervention? If you believe this theology, if you accept the theology at face value, how do we know what are God's interventions and what are not God's interventions. So, because I'm of, of a particular age, I grew up hearing Israel's victory in the Six-Day War was a miracle, and God was with our boys in the tanks. To which others say, if God was bo- with our boys in the tanks in 1967, then where was God at Auschwitz, which many Jewish theologians have raised? So, some people who fully espouse this theology 100%, um, seek to find 
reasons for God acting in history. So there is a strand of Orthodox theology, right, um, that the Holocaust, just as the destruction of the first temple was a punishment for idolatry, right, and the destruction of the second temple, the hands of the Romans, was a punishment because of baseless hatred, sinat chinam, among Jews, meaning if God can save us, if God can cross us to the Red Sea, he can also decide that his land will be destroyed and his temple will be burnt. It can go both ways. Sorry for saying he. I didn't mean to be gendered. God. Okay. Um, so there are people who say, there are people of a particular theological school who strain, who say, yes, the Shoah is a punishment because Eastern European Jews started becoming more secular. Okay. I didn't make that up. All right. And there are people who, when bad things happen to Jews as a group, will say this is a punishment from God. And when good things happen, this is because God chose to do this. Or I do know some, there are some thinkers who say, um, because they have a hard time saying that logical extension all the way, right? The Shoah is a punishment from God for something. And so they say, it's sort of like an adult parent involved in a child's life. Our childhood was Bible times, and that's when the parent intervened. But there gets to a point in the life of the nation where God no longer intervenes, that everything that happens is actually physically our own doing. And there are people who've expanded that theology to the world as a whole also, right? Earlier in human history, God did stuff. And now God, like a parent of an adult, chooses to not intervene and do stuff in history, okay, um, and leaves human beings on their own. So I have heard that theology. Um, and, of course, uh, I just want to take it further, there are some sharp thinkers who say it's all a load of malarkey, and everyone always thinks God is on their side. I would like to cite the words of a well-known Jewish-American bard, Robert Zimmerman, now known as Bob Dylan. I think it's his song, with God on their side, right? Every army goes marching into battle, believing that God is on their side. The crusader, you know, the, the Jews killing the Canaanites, conquering Canaan, the crusaders who passed through and killed the Jews on the way to the Holy Land, right? Everyone thinks that God is on their side. Everyone has God on their flag. This is a basic human impulse of the believing person to say, God is on my side. And of course, if everyone says God is on their side, then, and they are all contradicting each other, then it obviously can't all really be true. Although I want to take us back to a traditional view a traditional Jewish view is, oh, we know everyone says God is on their side, but they're all wrong and we're right because the Torah says so. Okay. Um, you know, it's kind of what people are saying in Israel today. You know, the, the Palestinians have to get used to the fact that this is our land because God gave it to us. How do we know that? It says it in the Torah. Okay. Which is what it says in the passage that we say in the Sidur 
every morning. God made a covenant with Abraham to give the land to his offspring. Okay. Uh, we ran over. I'm going to pause and allow there to be, I'm, I'm going to unscreen share. And again, if you didn't quite get all the chapter and verse, it's going to be attached to the, the, the thing today, which will be posted later today, hopefully. Question, comment, thought. Diane, who's been waiting patiently. <laughs> so I, I just want to um, basically reiterate the last thing you said. This plays out in Israeli politics every day. And I would say not even only the religious community believes that um, Israel's existence and the Six-Day War and the miracle of the Six-Day War was directly attributable to God. And that the maps from the Tanakh or the Torah um, are still valid today. And there's no, there's actually kind of no way to counter that. If someone believes that, there's no place to discuss, which is really, in my view, a big problem. Right. That That is a small, uh, or uh, not small, one instance of the bigger question I just want to abstract that, which is if someone believes God is on their side, it's not easy to persuade them that that's not true. Okay. okay. It's a, it's hard to have a logical argument with that, except you want to wave the Bob, you know, the best I can do is wave the Bob Dylan song as the logical argument. And if you don't know the Bob Dylan song, that means you're not of a particular age and you can go online and find it on, you know, YouTube or Spotify or whatever with God on their side. Phil Oaks, the late Phil, uh, folk singer Phil Oaks also had a song like that. I can never remember what it is. Um, marching, has, it involves marching and something about God also. Okay. Other thoughts, comments. Is there, there's something in the chat. What's in the chat? Oh, someone needs to leave. Never need to say that. Okay. Um, okay. Other thoughts? I'll let it hang. So here is a strand of biblical theology. Um, and I just want to say, last thing is like, oh, lots of us, that might mean all of us. I don't want to say all of us. Many or most of us are very selective about, you know, what in the tradition we believe or don't believe or like or don't like. So lots of people would say, oh, all that's Psalm 104, God who has the animals going out at night and then they go to their dens and sleep during the day and humans come out and nature is in balance and there are all these ecosystems. Oh, that's beautiful. I totally agree with that. That is the genius and beauty of the Bible. That's how God acts in the world. And they would look at these passages and say, oh, absolutely not horrifying the thought that god is responsible for egyptians drowning in the sea right so um many people have selective theology about what they think is true or not true by the way diane back to israel there'll be plenty of people who i'm sure don't keep shabbos and don't keep a whole bunch of other mitzvot and would say but of course god gave us the land right so you know people believe things selectively and do things selectively. That's just kind of the way human beings are. Um, but this is an important strand of biblical theology. And by the way, for some people, it is a core strand of biblical theology. 
Um, by the way, this is a strand of biblical theology that undergirds not only like certain people who believe in the whole land of Israel, you know, from the river to the sea and, and the other bank, you know, we already gave up the east bank of the Jordan. What else do you want us to give up? Uh, that, that sort of, um, attitude. Um, but there are people whose major commitment as Jews is to what is commonly called social justice. Okay. Um, who also base themselves on this theology, right? The theology of the Exodus as spelled out in the third blessing of the Shema is that God is Podeh Anavim. God is the one who saves the humble, right? And pulls down the haughty. And so it is our job to be on God's side to work to support the humble and pull down the haughty. And that is kind of the basis of their, I'm going to put it in the air quotes, social justice commitment in the world or in America today. And they say, this is the logical extension of that Jewish theology. Jews need to be involved in politics and the doings of public life and act on mandates that we interpret to be divine and they're divine because they're basically based on this theology god took the slaves out of egypt god redeemed the lowest of the low by the way it's also a strand that was espoused by jesus in the gospels right god cares for the ones who are deemed to be socially lowly Right. And it says it over and over again. Who does Jesus hang out with? Right. The tax collectors and the prostitutes, the people who were considered the lowest in society, the society of his time. That's the way the Gospels tell the story. That's also an extension of God acts in history by espousing the case, by caring for those who are deemed low and expendable, right? So that's a different way of spinning that theology forward compared with um, the um, both banks of the Jordan River extension of that theology. Kind of like the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. Correct. On a, but on a societal level, not, not just me taking care of that widow, but that our job as a group, as Jews, is to be on God's side in defending whoever are the equivalent of the widows, orphans, and and strangers of our day. At, right? And this would be, you know, immigrants, the poor, less advantaged um, 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 ethnic groups, right? So there are those who would say, no, that is the extension of God taking the Israelites out of Egypt. That's the logical extension of it. So we had, we come up with two different logical extensions, right? Both banks of the Jordan River and, um, taking care of the disadvantage in our society. Um, and, um, uh, Bob Dylan's critique and a view that, oh, that was then, but this is now. God acted in history back then when we were children, just like a parent intervening in the lives of their children. But at this point, we're more adult as human beings and God leaves it up to us to be the ones to act in history. Okay, I'm going to ring off with that. Everyone have a good day.
be Torah. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.